Welcome to Law Enforcement Today, the podcast. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. I'm a radio broadcaster and also retired Baltimore police sergeant. In every Law Enforcement Today podcast, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about issues that affect law enforcement officers, both active and retired, their families, friends, and supporters. We'll also be discussing incidents in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Be sure to check out our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and please take the time to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today. Welcome to today's episode of Law Enforcement Today podcast. I'm John J. Welly, joined by... Robert Greenberg in the studio with you, Jay. Good to be here with you all. And, you know, a lot of things happening in the news here lately, and we've had a couple of instances. Of course, everybody all over social media is going bat crazy over United Airlines and also the one in Colorado where the officer wound up like body slamming or taking down a young female. Those two videos you're just just going nuts about. You just quoted the media, body slammed. Well, And that's the reason I brought that up because that's how they use these terms. They take a little tidbit of a video and first of all, let's go to the very basic. Everybody in the United States is presumed innocent until found guilty in a court of law. Thank you for bringing that In the media, except police. It's an automatic assumption that therefore, somehow, as a police officer, they're biased, they're mean, they're brutal, they're, they're racist or something, and the media loves to hit that. So they use words like body slam. They use words like choked out. They use uh, all kinds of harsh terminology, and they never, ever, ever talk about what the other person was doing and the full video of the incident out in colorado that you're referring to jay is not even out and won't be released because the case is under investigation and it's still evidentiary so they can't do it and and folks i'm not speaking to the leos out there because you know we know what needs to be done police work is by itself in, in nature we're doing the things that most people don't want to do whether you're screaming on an airplane, oh my God, stop dragging him, or you're in a crowd saying, stop being so rough, we have a job to do. And that job needs to be done so we can go home to our loved ones and families at the end of the night. And there's policies you got to follow. Well, every department has a use of force policy, but if somebody's under arrest or somebody's told to leave, I have no problem and support those officers that end the situation safely and quickly, whatever means necessary Within their, within their control. See, what people don't realize is not reported is that the officer doesn't have control over what the other person decides to do. Correct. And I have to respond. That officer has to respond to what they do. That officer doesn't know if they can resist with bodily harm. They can just pull away to get away. But that officer has a requirement and can use a level of force above what the other person is doing. Correct. Again, that incident in Colorado was at a bar. I am sure, and I was not there, and I'm not going to be a backseat newscaster, but I'm sure alcohol had something to play. And if that officer didn't resolve that incident in a quick manner like he did, who knows what other people would have intervened in that situation. It could have got ugly very fast for those officers on the scene. And one of the safest positions you're taught to put a person in who's resisting is on On their stomach. On their stomach. So, you know, lots going to be revealed. It's just another case of the news media. Their job, and this is people got to realize this, their job is not to tell you the truth and tell you facts. Their job is to sell. Sell, sell, sell. Sell, get more advertisers, more people to read their newspaper, more people to watch their news broadcast, more people to listen to their 
podcast or their news report. And the, and those people that are sitting on the fence, whether the officers are doing the right and the wrong thing, believe it or not, in my experience, they're being swayed by these videos that they're seeing on YouTube. And I believe that it's our job, Jay, to educate these people. And if you have questions about what the officer is doing in any given situation that the news is portraying us as the monster, as you said, please let us know. There's an old saying that the, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled off was convincing the world he didn't exist until the news media convinced everybody or a lot of people in the United States that police were the enemy and not criminal gangs. Those weren't the enemy. Now the enemy, oh, it's law enforcement officers. Right. And being a, a patrol officer on the street, it's not about being politically correct. I don't know if you saw the United Airlines CEO come on the news today and he said, we'll never have a officer or police officer come on the plane and remove a passenger again. All that is yes, political political pressure. Yes, they will. He says that now, but yes, they will. When they get a physically violent, unruly person, they're not going to have the flight attendants deal with it. They might have the pilots trained. <laughs> yeah, right. I can see those pilots volunteering for that. He's my, doing major CYA. That's right. And that's my whole point to bringing that up is when the press starts to sink their teeth into a story and when the law enforcement officers are called, they're just doing their job based on the circumstances that they have in front the of them. The person could have said, okay, I'll leave. You and I both agree, right? Uh, totally, and uh, it's a no-win situation. And unfortunately, what winds up happening for those officers that wind up getting videoed, they get put through the the rigmarole through the department, taken off the street, and it's a, a very stressful situation. We'll be joined by an expert in that in a moment. But first, we have a contest coming up at the end of a podcast. What's up for grabs today? We have uh, one of our sponsors, uh, Vertex. Uh, they make unbelievable tactical gear equipment and bags it's very easy you get details at the end of the show joining us on the phone andy o'hara retired california highway patrol calling from california correct absolutely california and sacramento awesome uh, how is everything out there on that side of the world it's raining today it's but- raining in california it's raining in California. We've had a string of nice days, but we're over the drought, so we're okay. glad to see the rain. Robert Greenberg, who's sitting next to me in the studio from CEO of LET. Welcome, everybody. Andy is involved with an organization called Badge of Life. Tell us briefly, what does Badge of Life do? Well, Badge of Life has been around for about 10 years. I'm the founder. It's a 501c3 nonprofit. Our main mission that we have is finding ways to try to cut down on the impacts of stress and trauma on police officers. We look at uh, suicides. We look at suicide prevention, trying to get officers into counseling. We collect statistics on uh, police suicides. We've done several studies to look into it and try to formulate programs that will work so for you guys, police officers. You guys do quite a bit. How did you come up with the idea of uh, starting Badge of Life. What happened in your life? It kind of happened by accident, Jay. Uh, After my recovery from my post-traumatic stress disorder, which I uh, sustained after 24 years with the Highway Patrol, I was in the process of recovery, and I just uh, had an urge to put something on the Internet, basically telling a little bit of my story and a couple of my ideas on self-care and how to take care of yourself in law enforcement. And one of our future board members got a hold of me and said, hey, you need to do something with this. And you you were off. 
and we were off and running from there. Now, Andy, you're not somebody that's just talking and doesn't know what you're talking about. You have firsthand insight to what struggles our brothers and sisters are going through? Sure. We study suicides, and uh, I was a near victim of suicide myself. After my 24th year, the PTSD, the depression, the two go hand in hand, by the way, caught up with me, and uh, after months of struggling with it, I finally felt that there was just no other escape from the pain, so I turned to my trusty weapon, and I'll never forget the day I sat down in my bedroom and loaded and reloaded it several times got ready to to basically blow my brains out what stopped uh, you the the, i i was about ready to pull the trigger when a fortuitous thing happened i heard a rumbling next to me and couldn't figure out at first what it was and it turned out it was the garage door and it was my wife and daughter coming home from shopping and uh, i ran and hid the gun real quick my wife came in, but she sensed right away that something was going on. They know. They certainly know. They do know, and I confessed what was going on. We made a couple of phone calls, and I calmed down a little bit, and in a short time, within a couple of hours, I was on my way to a psychiatric hospital. What year was that in? That was in 1992. Okay. I've been retired for 24 years now. I want to say for everybody... In the studio and out there listening, Andy, we're, we're glad that you're still here with us. Yes, and uh, it's turned into a fulfilling life, I'm, I'm glad to say, but it's been a lot of work along the way. And I'm glad that you have survived and recovered and gotten a part where you can take your experience, the tragedies you experienced, all the heartache, all the desperation that leads to that point and use that as a fuel to help other officers who might be going through this. How prevalent of a problem is PTSD throughout law enforcement first responders in the United States? It's very common, and it's it's surprising how many suicides and how many cases of PTSD there are. We've averaged out over the last several years, there's about 125 suicides each year among police officers. That's about 10 a month, but for every police suicide, there's about a 1,000 police officers out there that are suffering from symptoms of PTSD. And their family and- suffers as well. Families suffer as well, and uh, it destroys a lot of marriages. destroyed mine, in fact. Yes. I can say that I understand exactly what you're talking about. And the children suffer. Uh, One of the red flags from my understanding is domestic problems. You know, a lot of arguing, a lot of bickering, hypervigilance, a lot of being angry all the time. Substance abuse. Absolutely. And the emotional withdrawal that often occurs with the officer before the point of suicide, where they would withdraw emotionally from everybody in their family. Yes, I got uh, tired of being in the same bedroom all the time, wearing the same bathrobe all the time, and isolating from everybody. I didn't do any communicating with other people. And all honesty, and I don't want to get all negative, you know, about agencies, but this is not an issue that's talked about much. Even after all these years, when all these these veterans came back, people started recognizing PTSD. Even to this day, law enforcement agencies don't want to recognize it. Many of them don't. They want to deal with it. There's a tremendous amount of stigma that goes along with anything related to mental health, with getting therapy, with getting help, which is something, this is one of the most 
toxic, caustic careers on the face of the earth, and officers need all the help that they can get. It's a growing epidemic. Um, I've seen it transform and metamorphose over the last 10 years like like nothing. Andy, can you share um, some personal stories that why you feel that this got a hold of you? Is there, was there one incident, several incidents? It's very difficult for me to describe because my PTSD was a cumulative form of PTSD. There's two types. There's critical incident, shootings, uh, watching a family burn to death in a car, uh, things of that sort that we call critical incidents. Mine were, I had my share of critical incidents, but uh, they didn't knock me off my beam. There were the, the screams, the ongoing threats that you run into, the rages, the fights, the pursuits, those moments that you run into where you find yourself face-to-face with a felon in the middle of the night and you're alone. There's even things like the complaints and the lawsuits. There's the mistakes that you make. And I made mistakes, and every police officer makes mistakes. Absolutely. Some of them come back to haunt you. Do you care to share one of those mistakes? Yeah. uh, Early in my career, I ended up in a hand-to-hand battle with a fellow who was a lot larger than me, and he managed to knock me off the roadway into a bale of barbed wire that was laying alongside the road. And uh, as we struggled, I found myself getting more and more tangled up in the barbed wire, and he went for my gun. And I was doing the best I could, tangled up in the barbed wire to get that gun back, and he was winning. And I knew it was over with. I know what his intention in his eyes was, was to take my life. Mm -hmm. And I did the one thing that I never wanted to admit to anybody. I put my hands up in the air, and I said, let me go, please. I basically begged for my life. And I said, if you go, uh, I won't chase after you. And for some reason, he believed me. And he jumped up and he took off into the trees and I didn't chase him. And I never reported that incident. It was more than I could take. And uh, Understandably so. It, uh, yeah. Those things change you immediately. I had an incident where a guy driving a stolen vehicle, a lot of drugs, wound up trying to shoot me with my own revolver and we wound up fighting over the gun and trying to discharge all the rounds so I wouldn't get it. I knew this guy was trying to kill me. Uh-huh. You know, when you know, when you get that sensation, this guy's trying to put you out right then, you know, and it's a, it's a totally different reaction. It's, uh, I don't, you can say training, you can say whatever you want. I would have done anything to survive and I did anything I could to survive at that point. Even to the point where it, it destroyed my wrist and Robert knows a little bit about that. So I understand yeah. And then, uh, you know, there's always the the second guessing. Did I do something wrong? Should I have done something different? Yes. I remember several cases. We call them the dirty little secrets. And uh, at night, one time, sending somebody who desperately needed medical care the wrong direction to the hospital. And it, uh, it was a mistake, but it was a mistake that haunted me for a long time afterwards. Well, we're only human. So, you know, I get that. And so back to you were suffering PTSD. You got to the point where you were on the verge of suicide. You wind up going to a psychiatric facility. Was everything peachy keen and rosy after that? Or was it a long road? I'm, I'm it, sorry, Andy, before you answer that, when you went, how was a, a lot of times a lot of officers 
walk into the wrong office. How was your first experience with a counselor with what you were going through? I was seeing a counselor for a short time before I went into the hospital. And my experience was very good. It wasn't a counselor who was experienced with law enforcement, but it was a counselor who understood trauma and understood anxiety and understood the kinds of things that I was going through. And so it was a very successful encounter, and I developed a good rapport with her, and that led to my willingness to go into the hospital. How was the recovery process from then on out? It was slow. It was slow and deliberate. I will give my department a lot of credit. Uh, they were supportive the entire way, and that helped a lot. But, That's not uh, always the case, though. We know that. Absolutely not. And many departments refuse to even accept the concept of PTSD in law enforcement. Many states don't. Many states many don't states recognize do it as workman's comp, and I believe Florida is one of them. Even though we've gone through all this with the VA and the federal government, they recognize it, but certain states still refuse to. Yes. That's frustrating. It's very yes, frustrating. Yes, it It's extremely frustrating. And progress is being made. Bit by bit, there's progress being made. I wanted to mention a bit of breaking news, which is a bill that was just introduced in the United States Senate, SB 867, which makes grants available to departments for mental health programs and for things like mental health checks and for psychologists and therapists to work directly with the department. It was just introduced last week, and it's SB 867, and I encourage your listeners to contact their local representative in the United States Senate and encourage them to vote for that bill. Thank you so much for that information, Andy. It's a far cry from the way things used to be. That's something that people can do. What what else? If if I'm a law enforcement officer right now, and let's say either I'm struggling or I know someone that's had a dramatic personality change, has totally withdrawn, drinking too much, all that stuff, and, and you begin to get concerned, what do you recommend they do? I would do what one officer did for me, and that was to take me aside and share his observations with me, that I was obviously having problems, that I needed some assistance, that I needed some help, and to get it as soon as possible. And I followed his direction. If an officer's suicidal, there's phone numbers they can call. They can find them on our website. There's a lot of assistance out there. But encouraging an officer to get in for therapy, to get in to see somebody, to talk it out, to even see a psychiatrist for medications. There's a lot of officers that are still working on the job and taking antidepressants. So it's not necessarily a death knell for your career. And Badger Life, you guys are actively involved in, um, is the word treatment, or are you actually involved in uh, facilitating the information to people that need help? Well, we put out a lot of information. We've got a, a website that is chock full of information, but we also we get a lot of phone calls from officers that come to us looking for assistance and help, and we guide them as best we can. Some are suicidal. Some are simply struggling with issues. We deal with substance abuse and requests for assistance in that area there. Uh, we do a lot of reaching out to officers. How well do you vet the people that are helping our brothers and sisters? Because that's a big concern that I get. Will the person understand? Will they be qualified? 
I understand that. And it's difficult to do on a national basis when you're dealing with uh, over 800,000 police officers across the country to try. Ideally, you want to find a, a therapist who is familiar with police work, but we recommend that a person treated like trying to find a doctor. We recommend that officers ask around, try a therapist. If the therapist doesn't seem to fit, if they don't seem to get it, then try another therapist, but don't give up. Keep on trying. Keep on trying, trying. absolutely. Words of wisdom coming from Andy O'Hara from the Badge of Life. Now, how about family members, spouses? Because we know this takes a terrible toll on them. Uh, Do you have any words of experience for them or what they might want to consider? There's an excellent book out by Ellen Kirschman, K-I-R-S-C-H-M-A-N, called I Love a Cop. And it's an excellent book that I strongly recommend family members get and read. Therapy is just as important for family members as it is for the police officer. There's so much that a person can get out of it to understand what the police officer is going through and joint therapy and even individual therapy for the family to learn to adjust. What's uh, the stigma still? Can we discuss more of that, Andy? Because think, oh, I can handle this. It'll pass. I don't have a problem. I don't need help. Is there any words of advice or wisdom that you can share with them if they're listening right now? Absolutely. This is one of the It has to be one of the most toxic career fields in the world where you go to work and you have to put on body armor in order to survive your shift. There's so many people that see getting help as cowardly or some kind of a something to be ashamed of. The key to getting help is to take that first step. And we recommend that officers go in and do it proactively, that they get what we call an annual mental health check once a year, just like you go in and you see the doctor once a year for an annual physical or see the dentist once a year or every six months for a checkup. And we recommend that officers do this before they get into trouble, not just when they need help, but do it beforehand. And do this every year rather than letting the problems catch up with you. There's so much that can be gained by doing that, building your resiliencies, looking at the past year, seeing what's worked, what what hasn't worked, and getting the help that they need before they get into trouble. That's the key is doing it once a year. Would you suggest they go to uh, someone privately instead of using departmental resources? They can do either one. There's the, the Some departments have a department psychologist. Some of them use employee assistance services. Some officers are afraid of confidentiality. They're afraid that's going to be a conduit to the chief of police. If they really have a concern in that area, we recommend they go outside the department and find a therapist on their own. Pay for it on their medical plan. It's not that expensive. And that's going to be a lot more confidential. The confidentiality is guaranteed. The only exceptions are when you present a danger to yourself or a direct danger to others. And if I'm correct from listening to you and from what I've read, if someone deals with this in early stages and finds a, a way of dealing with it in a healthy, therapeutic way, oftentimes it does not have to get to the catastrophic levels of severe depression and uh, lashing out or uh, substance abuse or suicide. 
it doesn't have to reach those points at all. As you build up on those resiliencies, the the ability to bounce back from adverse events and be able to take things as they come out there. It need not reach the crisis point. No matter what you're going through, there's there's some way to deal with it if you reach out and you get that help. Andy, I know you're in California, and I have read some articles, even on your website, that there are a lot of very progressive agencies out in the California area that are very supportive if the officers come forward. Is that prevalent all over the country? Is that a trend that I can start seeing coming to the East Coast? We're seeing quite a bit of activity on the East Coast, actually, and we believe the East Coast is actually leading the way. We're seeing our mental health checks being implemented. We're seeing a lot of peer support programs being put into place, a lot of chaplaincies. California is doing very well, but we're seeing a lot of progress on the East Coast, especially. And are there areas where you think that they're just not responding or you feel like you're preaching the choir, but it's getting nowhere? All across the country, there's a lot of departments that are beginning to implement programs, but there are an awful lot of departments that aren't doing anything. And uh, we need to wake them up, and uh, that's part of the purpose of Badge of Life. Hopefully they'll be listening to this, or somebody within their department can slip this podcast under their door or send them a link to it, and uh, they can get educated. That's our hope. I think this needs to come from the ground level up. My experience, when it comes from the top down, we don't want to hear it. You know, it's, oh, the bureaucrats in the headquarters building tell us what to do, blah, blah, blah. They don't understand. They forgot what it's like to be a police on the street, all that stuff. But when your fellow officers are talking to you, you know, and these are guys that you work with every day, men and women every day, you respect, they respect you. And they start talking about, you know, we need to get healthy. We need to do this. It seems to be a little bit more beneficial and more well-received. You're absolutely right. It's a bottoms-up process in many ways where officers watch out for each other. The chief does have an important role in that he needs to lead the way. He needs to be the one that searches out the therapy himself. He needs to set the example and then go in and tell the squad what he's done, that he's been in for therapy, that it's helped him with perhaps some work problems or just dealing with the general stresses. doesn't have to be overly personal, but set the example for the troops. And then the troops have an equal responsibility to implement the same thing themselves. I am noticing quite a few peer support groups popping up and They're usually with the larger agencies, but they're doing an awesome job down here in South Florida and even in Central Florida. When there is an incident with a smaller agency, those larger agencies that have these peer support groups in place are there to offer and lend their support. And I can tell you it's going a long way. I've heard of many cases of that happening, and that's a wonderful thing that's going on. That type of cooperation is what saves lives. Oh, let's let's change directions here just for a moment. For that officer, whether it be active or retired, that's going through this, that's going through PTSD, whether it's diagnosed or not, depression, suicidal thoughts, the, the heavy drinking, the isolating, feeling like they're losing their family. What piece of advice would you leave for that officer right now? The one that is in danger. Get help when you need it. 
Okay, get no. help. I agree. Get help. I just reach out, talk to somebody, and keep on trying to find some because it life gets so much better. It's sure, absolutely so much better. You guys have a website. What is it? Our website's real easy to find. It's badgeoflife.com. And if you forget that much, you can just Google Badge of Life, and that'll take you right to us. Andy O'Hara, Badge of Life, retired California Highway Patrol. Thanks so much for your time and your insight. And and I want to say on behalf of Robert and everybody else, thank you for what you're doing to help other officers out there. Because when we retire, a lot of people think, okay, I'm done. But you're still in it. You're in there. You're in the fight. It's my way of paying forward. And Andy, I thank you uh, not only for myself and Jay, but everybody listening that you were so candid in in our conversation. I, I really appreciate that. A lot of people come on and they talk about their website or or things that they're doing, but not really personalizing their experience like you had. And I, I want to thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. And we'll have you back again soon. Thanks, Andy. Okay, thank you. Big thank you to Andy O'Hara from Badge of Life for joining us today. Very insightful guy. Awesome. Um, very candid and open. One of those guests that just answered any question we put forth. To and there's so many topics in here to discuss. We're going to have them back later on another episode. So, by the way, if you have questions, uh, may not be about you, might be someone you know, may just want to get feelers, you can always send us an email. Go to the Contact Us page at lawenforcementtoday.com. Correct. And uh, about show topics, or if you want to be a guest, we can do that. We've got another great prize up for grabs today. What is available that people can win? Uh, the contact page on the Law Enforcement Today website. Just fill that out, and your name will be entered into a contest to receive a product from Vertex. Could be something. So put in the subject line Vertex? Just put the subject line Vertex, and you'll be entered in to win an unbelievable prize. Also, you can just do a podcast contest. We're, we're, we're generous. We're generous. Yep. Just let us know you're out there. Thanks a lot, Robert. And on behalf of everybody here associated with law enforcement today, hope you have an awesome day. I'm John J. Wiley. See ya. We'll be right back.